Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our Sunday School lesson. <clears throat> this is a lesson that's going to be presented on uh, May 16th of 2021. So um, it's always a little bit confusing uh, recording these because some of you are watching this because you weren't able to go to Sunday School. But we also record them early enough <clears throat> so that our Sunday School teachers can study their lesson and know what in the world I'm trying to say. It's always um, interesting to me. You can write things down and it seems perfectly clear to you. Someone else reads it and they take it a little different. So that's why we try to do this to help our Sunday school teachers out. Now, we've been going through the New City Catechism and um, we're answering the question today, what is idolatry. Now let's, um, before we read the answer, let's just make a confession here. Everybody thinks they know what idolatry is, but when you pin us down, it's a little more difficult than what we might think. In fact, the Bible calls some things idolatry that would never enter my mind and probably never enter your mind either. And so uh, we've got to talk about this and we've got to think about this a little more than just, well, it's somebody bowing down to an image, someone bowing down to an idol. Uh, it, it, it's a little bit more than that and it goes a little bit deeper than that. In fact, I think that we can be idolaters and not even realize it sometimes. I think that there can be things that become idols in our lives that we didn't actually create, that we didn't actually carve out of wood or out of stone. It can be just about anything. In fact, well, let's go ahead and let's read the answer. Idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and our happiness, significance, and security. Hope, happiness, significance, and security. Anything that you look to besides God, any created thing, that can be a person, that can be possessions, that can be a title, that can be anything, can it, virtually. Now, we're all familiar when we uh, think about people that would go maybe in India, been there a few times, and uh, they worship all kinds of things. Some, uh, well, millions of gods and goddesses. You can't even keep up with all of it. And uh, you think about why people would do that. And to us, it seems so out of place and so foreign. We would never do that. But what do we sell our souls to? What is it that we think is really going to give us hope? What do we think is going to really make us happy? What do we think is going to make us significant? And what do we think is going to make us secure? Now, all you have to do is watch a little TV and watch commercials. You see, commercials give you exactly what 
John said in 1 John, all that is in the world is the lust of the eyes. Well, that's certainly there, isn't it? They show you all kinds of pictures. The lust of the flesh, they will tell you that, you know, it really matters what kind of toothpaste you use as to whether you get the girl or not, or as to whether you have the, you know, the cushy job or not, or whatever. And then there's the pride of life. You will be somebody if you use our product. And so we use products that we didn't even know we needed until we saw the commercial. And they created a need, they created a desire, and they built us up to the point where we decided, if I don't have this particular product, and if I don't have this particular possession, then my life just really doesn't matter. And I'm a nobody, and everybody's going to know that I am a nobody. Because psychologists tell us that the two basic things that people are looking for are significance and security. And notice that they put that in this definition. Hope, what is it that makes you feel confident? What is it that makes you feel positive about life and about situations, about circumstances? What is it that really gets your attention and brings a smile to your face and joy to your heart? What is it? Is it the Lord? Is it the hope of heaven? Is it the truth of the word of God? Or is it something that you see in your bank account? Is it what your neighbors have to say about you and your yard? Is it something else that comes your way that makes you feel really, really happy? What is it that makes you feel significant, that life is worth living? Uh, with this heart failure thing that I have, I've been to uh, several doctors and a nurse will sit down and say, how are you feeling? And I say, well, I feel a little better. I feel a little bit more normal. I'm still tired and still have trouble with that, but you know, better. And then they'll say, well, no, what I really meant was how are you feeling emotionally? Do you want to do harm to yourself? Do you have the feeling that everyone else would be better if you weren't here? And then they'll ask you those kind of questions. Well, those are a little bit um, disconcerting. And then they'll tell you, these feelings are normal for somebody who has had a cardiac event. Well, um, what is it that would make me, think about this, that would make me feel hopeful and optimistic about life, wanting to go on living, wanting to do whatever I had to do to keep on living? It's normal and natural to think, well, I'll do anything. I've got my family. I've got my ministry, I've got all of this, and I'm, you know, I've got to live for grandkids and all of that. How easy would it be for those things that are normal, natural, and God-given? Remember, we said that idolatry is any created thing. It can be something that is a gift from God, but there's a fine line between appreciating those things taking responsibility in those things, and then making them an idol. What is it that gives hope? Is it, uh, well, if I could have my health back, then I would be happy, 
And then I would really have hope. Am I finding it in God or am I finding it in the way that I feel? Am I finding it in what the doctor says about my health? What about financially? You know, there are a lot of people that they can find hope and happiness, significance and security. All four of those things in the amount of money that they have in the bank, the amount of money that they have available to them. And if we're not careful, while that can be a gift of God, and there's certainly nothing wrong with having money, there's nothing wrong with preparing for the future, but there's that fine line that we cross to where God is not enough and God's promises are not enough. But if I were to have the money that God would give me, then everything would change. See the idolatry in uh, all of this. And so I think that Americans are much more idolatrous than we might want to admit. And I think that if we compared our culture to India, we would be uh, probably somewhat disgusted by the idols that they worship, the uh, rituals that they go through. Some of them believe in the rat god, and also with Hinduism and reincarnation, they believe that rats are, you know, relatives. And so they go to the temple of the rat god, and they lay down on the floor, and they let the rats crawl all over them, bite them, urinate on them, all of those things, because they think it's going to be pleasing to their ancestors, it's going to bring blessing to their life, and it's going to appease the rat god. You and I would never think of doing anything like that. So the enemy, knowing our reticence for that type of thing, tempts us in a different way. If you have this, and if you wear this, and if you look like this, if you participate in this, if you can earn and achieve this, I mean, it goes on and on and on in our society, then you'll be happy. And yet you find that so many people that get those things really are not happy. My heart um, started to say my heart goes out. That may not be the best thing for me to say right now, but emotionally, I feel for people who fall for the transgender movement, for example. They will say, here I am, a man, and I'm trapped in a woman's body, or vice versa. And if I could just get that body fixed, if I could change the way that I look, if I could change my anatomy, then I would be happy. That's my problem. And so the enemy whispers in their ear, you've been unhappy all of these decades because you're not who you really want to be or think that you are. Now, what happens? We find that research bears this out. Once they have the sex change operations, go through the hormone therapy and change their name and their dress and the way that they look and all of that, you know what happens? They find out the hard way. That's not the key to happiness. I'm thinking about people that a few years ago when the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage, 
of all the people that said, oh, now we can have the same status as heterosexuals, and now we're really going to be happy. And you know what they're finding out? They're going through the same thing that heterosexual marriages are going through, the brokenness, the divorce, the heartache, the betrayal, the, um, well, that's enough. And so we look at all of this and we realize that the devil made promises back to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. You will not die. That was line number one, because she did die, and Adam did die, and you and I die, and we're in the process of dying. No matter how old you are, you're in the process of dying. The moment you took your first breath, a countdown clock started. I don't know how long your timer is, It may be 90 years, but it's going down. It may be 30 years, but it's going down. And some people die when they are children and teenagers. We don't know. Psalm 139 says those days were um, written out before there were any of them. In other words, you're not going to live a second longer than God has ordained, nor die a second sooner than he has ordained. We are all in the process of dying. So when the devil said, you will not surely die, maybe there was a little bit of truth in the fact that you're not going to die as soon as you eat the fruit. But make no mistake, you are going to die. See, Eve told the serpent, we're not to eat of the tree or touch it, lest, lest we die. Where did God ever say, lest you die? He said, in the day you eat of it, you're going to surely die. And they died, of course, not physically, but they died spiritually when they ate of the fruit. And that culminated in their physical death. And that's the last enemy, the Bible says, to be destroyed. So we're in the process of dying. The enemy lied. Then he also said, and ye shall be as God knowing good and evil. Well, that knowing good and evil part, maybe there was uh, some degree of awakening, but we don't know everything that's good, and we don't know everything that's evil, and we swap them around, and we call evil good, and we call good evil. It's part of the human condition. We lie to ourselves, we deceive ourselves, We fall for the temptation of the enemy thinking that's what's going to give me hope and happiness, significance and security that we talked about. And the Bible calls it idolatry, right? And so we replace God. When Eve was in the garden and the enemy uh, told her, if you'll eat this, look what'll happen, you won't die. She replaced God with a piece of fruit. Maybe we could say she replaced God with a serpent at that point. And people have been doing that ever since in droves. And so when we think about what idolatry is, we think about what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, 21 and 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Okay, now we can go back to Adam and Eve. Wouldn't that be true of them? 
instead of being thankful for all of the fruit they could eat and everything God had made, all of a sudden they were obsessed with what they couldn't have. And instead of being thankful, something else happened, right? But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You shall be as gods. And what did they get out of it? A darkened heart, a darkened understanding. We move on down and it says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And so that's a sad thing when we say the eternal one who created me and created everything is not good enough. There's more to it. I'm going to find it and I'm going to go for that and I'm going to bow down to that and serve that regardless of the cost. People say I'm going to be happy at all costs. Well, you look around at the world and you find out the cost is higher than they might think and the dividend, the happiness, is much, much more diminished than what we think. It's a part of our condition in a fallen world that when things become normal, they become boring, they become dull, they become something that we're not grateful for and not thankful for when we should be. And so that's what Paul is speaking of. And that's what idolatry actually is. Finding security in something or someone other than God. You see it? Finding security in something or someone other than God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. So prosperous 21st century middle class American, don't be haughty. I'm doing what the Bible says. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Do you see what Paul was telling them to do here? It's so easy to look around and to say, I've got means. I've got money. I've got some security because of what has been provided for me. And you put your hope in that and you're going to go up and down with the stock market, up and down with the price of gold. You're going to go up and down with what it is you think you need. I heard um, an economist say the other day, it looks like inflation is headed our way if it's not already here. Have you uh, paid attention at the gas pump? And whatever happens there affects food prices and everything else. Well, if our hope is set on that, you'll go up and down with the inflation rate, up and down with the unemployment rate. All of those kind of things have an effect on us. Should we be aware of those things? Of course we should be. But our hope should be in the God who promised to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory, not in the, Paul said, uncertainty of riches, but on God. God gave us all of these things that we have to enjoy. But when we exchange God 
for something inferior, we're just setting ourselves up for failure and for defeat, for um, all kinds of disappointment. And what that really means is this God who made us and has given us certain promises, the Bible calls them exceedingly great and precious promises. What do we do? We cast all of those aside. And then we believe something that is inferior. We believe in someone that, well, they lie to us, frankly. And sometimes we take people or situations or titles or jobs or whatever, and we put it on a pedestal in the place of God. And that's a foolish thing to do because we're not believing the promises of God. So finding significance or security in God plus something else is equally as dangerous. We are to find it in God alone. Number two, it's a foolish exchange. In Psalm 135, 15 through 18, it says, the idols, that's what we're talking about, anything that replaces God, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. So trusting in silver, trusting in gold. In our culture, we may trust more in that because it's money to us. It's currency. It has value. Other places may put their trust in wood or stone or gold or silver that they make and they may bow down to it. And the net result is the same thing. God is left out. The promises of God are swept aside. And all we do is become empty. All we do is become futile in our thinking. And we end up being worthless and useless in terms of helping anybody or blessing anybody or uh, in terms of our worth to the kingdom of God, uh, it diminishes very, very quickly. And so to think about that and to think about intellectually how foolish it is to exchange the true God for idols that can't do anything, they can't make anything, they don't give life to anything. In fact, they don't have life in themselves. And to think that that's what's going to make me happy or important or secure or give me hope, uh, there's a real problem in that. And we know that. And none of you disagree with me on that right now. The problem is implementing that and keeping from doing that because it is a real battle in a materialistic, consumer-driven society in which we live. Hard, hard to stay out of the realm of idolatry. Number three, thinking that there are options. Okay, what was the devil actually saying to Eve? Right now, you're serving Yahweh God. You know there's another option, don't you? You know there's a, another way. 
And that's really what an idol is. An idol presents itself as being another way, maybe even a better way. God's holding back on you. But if you were to eat of this fruit, if you were to worship at this altar, you would get so much more than you're getting now. There's always got to be something new. Even though the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, we have the suspicion that, well, maybe, maybe there is. And we see some other people and they seem to experience some things or have some things that we don't have. And so we think, well, maybe I'll just try it their way. That's what happened to Israel when they moved into the land of Canaan. There was always a better way and always an option. Even though God had told them, thou shalt have no other gods before me, the Israelis started thinking, well, you know, maybe a little bit of Baal worship, a little bit of worshiping Ashtaroth or something like that wouldn't be bad. It can't hurt, but it did hurt, didn't it? Because point number three, thinking there are options. Let's go to Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, Paul says, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality. How many people worship at that altar right now? Impurity, passion, evil desire. Now look at this. And covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, that 10th commandment is in there for a reason. You're not supposed to be envious or jealous or covetous of anything that anyone else has. Why? Because Paul said that's idolatry. How could that possibly be idolatry? Well, when you look at something your neighbor has and said, if I had their money, if I had their wife, if I had their business, if I had their house, if I had their pool, if I had their car, if I had their kids even, what are we really saying is that we're not happy with what God has provided and God is not enough. I need what somebody else has in order to find hope, happiness, significance, and security. I need what they have. Boy, if my kids would obey like their kids have, if my kids would achieve what their kids have in sports or education or maybe their career, maybe their lifestyle cho choices, and we don't understand that a sovereign God has placed us where we are in the situation that we're in and with whatever he has or has not given us in order that we might be a testimony that joy comes from the Lord alone. After all, joy and love and peace, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is God. Joy, love and peace and all of those other things that are mentioned, they don't come in possessions they don't come in bank accounts. They don't come in the stock market. They don't come in any other thing. They come from God himself. So whether you're bowing down before an idol that you made in India, or whether you are trying to find your hope and security in keeping up with the Joneses or outdoing the Joneses. I heard someone say, I didn't want to just keep up with the Joneses. I wanted to be the Joneses. Does that not describe us and who we are? Folks, you got to battle and you got to fight 
and you got to constantly repent and you got to go before God. And it really is a matter of faith. And so we've got to put to death these earthly things that are in us. Because sinning like this says, if God won't give it to me, I'll find someone who will. You know, I had someone say to me one time, well, if God won't answer my prayers and give me what I want, I'll pray to the devil because I'm going to get what I want and I'll pray to whoever will give them to me. I don't see how that possibly could be the words of a saved person. Do you? And yet that's the way so many people think. And sexual sins and covetousness are really just worship of self. I deserve it. I'm the pinnacle of creation. I'm worth it. And whatever I have to do to get it, I will get it. And so think about how many people are actually worshiping idols because of what they covet. They want someone else. They want something else. And uh, so there you go. And number four, we'll finish up here. Idolatry puts human and demonic ideas above God's. Human and demonic ideas. And those two are probably the same. I'm not sure humans have all that many ideas that aren't put there either by God or by demons. I'm thinking about what it is that makes people do what they do. Why is it that a man will lay aside his career, his reputation, he'll lose his wife, he'll lose his children, all because he thinks that he can't live without this other woman? Why do people do that? Well, if we stop and think about it, it's a, a foolish exchange. But demons have a way, like the devil did as a serpent in the garden, of making it so appealing, so easy. It's something that is going to add to our life, something that will enhance our life. Well, you remember the old saying, sin will take you further than you wanted to go, cost you more than you wanted to pay, and keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, right? So, so true. And it's appealing. It looks good. And that's why we fall for it. Well, the Bible says in Genesis 3, verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So who was speaking? Well, it was the devil. That was not the word of God. That was not the promise of God. There was nothing anywhere at any point that you could find where God said, here it is, if they eat of the fruit, they'll be like me, but shh, don't tell them. Because it wasn't true. It was a lie from the enemy. And so we tend to create our gods or we choose to exchange gods or even worse, we believe the lie that we can be gods. And so when you run your life, when you are the ruler, when you determine what's going to make you happy, what's going to give you hope, 
What's going to give you significance? What's going to give you security? Whenever you do that, you're playing God. And it's a dangerous thing to play God. That's what Eve tried to do. And Eve and Adam at this point are saying, we'll choose what's right, what's wrong. We'll choose to do what we want to do or what we don't want to do. We'll sit on the throne. We'll be in the driver's seat. We will be in control of our lives. No more will someone else control us. And look what happened. And so I just close with this question. Where and to what do you turn to when you feel insecure, tired, lonely, insignificant, etc.? What do you turn to? Who, to whom do you turn? And I end up by saying, take a good look at it. Behold your God. So let that sink in and let's be the people that when tough times come, hard times come, we find ourselves turning to the true and the living God instead of to something that is a cheap substitute. Hey, thank you for your time and may the Lord bless you. And um, I hope this has enriched you and encouraged you and informed you a little bit. Uh, thank you for taking the time to tune in. Again, God bless.